What's up, party people? It's Talib Kweli, the host of the People's Party. I know you've been enjoying it so far. We thank you for your love and support. We got more People's Party coming up. We got all types of situations that you're going to want to tune into and never forget to watch. Talib Kweli, Jasmine Lee, it is the People's Party. Let's go. What's up, party people? Gather round. My name is Talib Kweli. Welcome to another fantastic edition of the People's Party with Talib Kweli and my lovely co-host Jasmine Lee. Give it up for Jasmine That's Lee. That's me. How are you feeling today, Jasmine? Absolutely amazeballs. Amazeballs. I'm pretty fucking amazeballs too because today's episode is a special one. It's one I've been looking forward to doing for a long time. We have a lot of friends of myself on this show, but not a lot of people that I started my career with Mm. and have been around for as long as I've been around. This man we have on the show today, his name has come up a lot with other artists Mm -hmm. on this show. Uh, We were both on Raucous together. He is an entrepreneur. He is a producer. He is a label owner. He's an incredible MC. He has been a part of major, major situations in hip hop. It's very hard to have like one hit record. It's very hard to have like one dope group. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to have like one dope verse that everybody likes. This dude started Company Flow. This dude started a label called Def Jux. This dude started a phenomenal group called Run the Jewels. People, put your hands together. Give it up. For L Producto. Yeah! LP in the house. LP! How you feeling? Finally got you in the house. Loving the shades. I like the shades and the shoes. Thank you very much. I want to impress you guys. (laughs) (laughs) He was trying to one-up me. Job well done. What's up, man? How you feeling? Great. I feel great. So, I want to take you back to the Gavin convention. Oh, shit. I think it was 98 or 99. We were promoting our, you know, share, selling our wares right, right. at the Gavin Convention. <laughs> and you invited me to your hotel room to smoke a blunt. Mm. And we smoked a blunt. And we were in San Diego. And you were telling me that you had figured out this military plan because we were in San Diego and that something was going to happen in the military. And that's all that I remember from the story because I was high. So I was going to see if you remembered what it was that she was breaking down for Hell me. no. Okay. Of course I don't remember. <laughs> I don't even remember that. <laughs> I'm a, I've, I was just talking to someone recently, and I was uh-huh. like, I think that I'm headed towards like early stage dementia. Oh my like, god! I th- me I think, too. Like I feel like as a as a person, you have to you have to flex your memory. You know, you have to remember mm-hmm. things. And people are tell people tell me stories all the time about shit that like. <laughs> That's like, a good You life. don't remember? We were together, and That's the guy life. caught on fire, and he jumped out the window, and I'm just like, it's not, it's not ringing a bell right now. Mm-hmm. Like I I I I worry that I. That through you know, um, the use of marijuana and, um, and and also just a complete disregard for for, for my own past mm-hmm. that I may not have the capacity to remember things anymore. <laughs> but at that time, you know, I, I, I'm sure I probably had a lot of <laughs> pseudo insight into the future. You know, yeah. I, I one time when I was I, well, my my wife who's a stand-up comedian. Um, oh, yes. She uh, she Jackie tells does. us. Oh, cool. Yeah. So she she's. Of course, when you have like a, a when you have a wife who's a stand-up comedian, you have to be okay with ninety percent of the jokes being at your expense, pretty much. Oh my know? God! Tell my boyfriend he and can't. He can't <laughs> handle it. No, I mean I, I I particularly like it. So you know I think it's hilarious. But 
And she definitely tells a joke about, this is based on a true story, mm -hmm. which uh, when we first got together, <laughs> so I, I was, you know, I, I've had, uh, I had a, uh, bouts of being a, a little manic and paranoid, I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know. When, when the world is insane and you think that you're starting to see something that is, you know, um, and uh, it's unhealthy. Um, and, and, and <laughs> or it could be a logical reaction to an insane one. True, but this isn't. Okay, okay. <laughs> that, to, that's not what this is. On occasion, is. you know, it's uh -huh. logic. On, okay. on other occasions, it's, it's, it's fantasy and panic. Um, and I, I remember I saw some, um, I was like, sweetie, we gotta go away out of New York this weekend, because I saw some YouTube video where oh. they were like, where the this is real. I'm telling okay. this because I have no particular shame about <laughs> about His being Randy Quaid moment about being an idiot. Yeah, <laughs> um, and it was like, it was I saw some YouTube video about like how the Simpsons <laughs> predicted 9/11 and like and how like this was and then they were predicting that something was going to happen on mm -hmm. this day and I was like, sweetie, and I showed her the video. I was like, we got to get out of town, and we got out of town. And afterwards, she was like, you're a fucking asshole, and I was like. <laughs> That's what yeah. it was. You was telling me something's gonna happen. I just don't remember what it was that you were telling me is gonna yeah. happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were in San Diego. You was like, "Yo, it's gonna happen here." Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Doing good, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> really killing the game with the predictions. Yeah. That's hilarious. Um, your production style. It sounds to me like old New York. Hmm. I like the noises. Mm. that you hear in old New York. Yeah. What's the difference between old New York and how New York is now? Mm. I, you know, I do think that those, you know, it's funny that you say that because I always explain that about, about my production because throughout my whole career, it's always been like, why is it so fucking noisy? Yeah. You know what I mean? Why is it so noisy? And I'm like, well, because every time I'm making a beat, a siren is playing outside mm. of my window, or someone is yelling, or mm. a car is crashing, or a dog is barking, or, you know, uh, or, or like, you know, you're in Brooklyn now, I live in Williamsburg mm. now, every Friday night, oh, yeah. there's, a, there's an air raid siren that goes off to, mm. to, 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 to let the Hasidic Jews know that, mm. the, that it's the Sabbath, mm -hmm. and they can they have to put down whatever they're doing. And every time, inevitably, I'm making a beat, and I'm like, <laughs> that shit sounds fucking hot, what is it? And I'm like, <laughs> that and I'm like, And then I'm like, oh, it's the air raid siren. Right. The, it, it's worked its way, you know, the, the sound of the city, the, the, the clanging, and the, uh, um, and the clutter of the city and the, and the, and the noise. Is, has always made its way into my shit. I don't think it's really changed that much in terms of that, you know, um, mm -hmm. in between old New York and new New York, you okay. know. Um, the difference between old New York and new New York is that I wouldn't be living in fucking Williamsburg in <laughs> old New York, you know. Well, that's um, right. Uh, but uh, it's, it's, I always looked at the sound thing as maybe my attempt to, to organize all that chaos that's around mm -hmm. me, you know. Like, if I could capture it and put it somewhere that I wanted it, then maybe it would make a little bit more sense, right. you know? Now, you, we were just talking in the back about you've been working with Rick Rubin. Well, we've been working up at Rick Rubin's studio, okay. Okay. you know, and Rick comes in and, and, and his flip-flops and sits right. down on the couch sometimes and we talk and, and right. shoot the breeze, but we're not working with him on the, okay. on the music. Not you know? yet. Um, well, I mean, it's just not what this project is, yeah, you know. Right, right. I'm, I'm, no, I'm, but even but with that, whether it's RTGA or whatever, I'm sure that would, that would be somebody that you would love to work Rick with. Is a, Rick is obviously, you know, uh, um, just a, a, a super important figure and, and, and an amazing dude. Mm -hmm. and. 
definitely a, had a hand amongst a few other people in just even making me want to do this shit. Right, because he first was producing place. noisy Run DMC records. Exactly. Rock, uh, Run, Run the Jewels is like in the tradition of Run DMC. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. I know that you and Mike share an affinity for Ice Cube for America's Most yeah, Wanted. Yeah, and that was yeah. sort of like the connection. It was. That right? was what we found with each other in terms of the ground that we, when we were, when I was first asked to work with Mike mm -hmm. um, and I went and met him in Atlanta and there was just, it just popped off. Like mm -hmm. it was magic. I was curmudgeonly. I was like, ah. Right. I was like, all right, well, I, know, I knew his shit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'll, I'll go. I'll, we'll do a few songs. But I was in the middle of making a record for myself. I didn't want to get involved with anyone else. I mm -hmm. had just stopped being involved with a bunch of other people's mm -hmm. records and stuff. And I was like, I don't want to do this. But one of the records that we, one of the things that we connected on immediately just on some rap shit was, was that, was mm -hmm. when Ice Cube went, you know, left NWA, went to the East Coast and immediately hooked up with the noisiest, the funkiest, noisiest. most crazy production squad yeah. that had, was the almost, it, I would say it was maybe some to, the, to a degree the antithesis maybe of most West Coast stuff, mm -hmm. although to give funk. credit to NWA, mm -hmm they were pretty noisy too, you know what I mean? And, that, yeah. and so it made some sense, you know? But Dre says that he was trying to do the Bomb Squad. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he said he was that's listening crazy. to Public Enemy records and said, I'm trying to do the gangster version of that. And that's what it was, yeah. yeah. So there was some through lines, but we definitely bonded on that. And the Run DMC thing for sure. I mean, that's yeah. why we do two guys in black denim right. on the stage with a DJ and that's our that's our show. The Run DMC know? as opposed to like the funk where it's like the costumes and everything. Yeah, and you know the thing that was cool about Run DMC if, and I know you you remember this was was they were the first dudes to come out to just dress like normal right. dudes. Right. Like the dude on the corner. Yeah. yeah. And you were like, "Wait a second, I could potentially be one of those dudes." Like yeah. I could, like you Run DMC made you feel like you could join the group. It yeah, wasn't like my crazy. Adidas you didn't have to like, wear like yeah. flat feathers. It's like I got Adidas <laughs> on. Like, yeah, I'm my on. Adidas. That's yeah. the song. Right? Like, yeah. Oh, these are my Adidas. <laughs> yeah, like, right. You got yours. So we love that about we love that about that. You know, and 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 as and we loved that sort of feeling. We wanted people to feel like, mm -hmm. um, I loved the fact that Run DMC were super powerful and hard, but they weren't out there literally threatening you, you know, with right. violence. You just knew that these dudes had personal power. You just yeah. knew that these dudes were powerful. Like he's like, I went to St. John's yeah. University. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, I'm oh smart. My. I right. wear glasses. Right. I have Adidas. <laughs> exactly. And you're, right. like, and you're just like, damn, he's the hardest rapper hard. in the world. Yeah. Right. Um, so that, 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 that's very much true about Run the Jewels and our whole sort of philosophy about it. I know? hear that in your production. It's I hear NWA. Yeah. I hear Ice Cube, Bomb Squad Ice Cube. Sure. I hear uh, Run DMC. Yeah. It's interesting to me that it's, 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 it's super, super socially conscious. Mm. Um, you know, Zach De La Roca. When he left Rage Against the Machine, which is Rage was like a rock public enemy, right? Mm -hmm. And now you got Prophets of Rage with Tom is out there doing mm -hmm. his thing with, with Be Real and, and Chuck D. Mm -hmm. but Who Zach, I just saw two days ago. Shout Chuck out to D? them. Yeah, you saw, yeah. You saw the show. No, I, I saw them. I okay, hung you saw out the, with them. Yeah, yeah, okay, they were yeah. up in Shangri-La, yeah. Zach, when he left Rage, came and stayed with you a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. What was that like? That and has all that music come out? No, none of that music none of has come ever out. come out. No, um, it's interesting. I mean, that's a lot of people don't know that. But it, but right when they split up, Zach 
straight up just came to Brooklyn and lived in my apartment mm -hmm. for like a month. And we worked on what was going to be his, you know, he wanted to work with the guy from Company Flow. On yeah, a, yeah, yeah. On, on, you know, on, on a solo record. Mm -hmm. um, what was that like? It was probably great for me and not so great for Zach because <laughs> there was like five of us living in my apartment. Oh, I was making beats in my bedroom. I was like, oh, you know, it yeah. sounds like that's what he came for. Maybe, yeah. but, but, but he didn't leave with much music. Like, you know, like... <laughs> But those are just the creative spaces and being around that energy, just, you know, everybody's hustling, everybody's yeah. trying to get it. I think that that was what, what, what was cool about it. And I think that that was one of the things that drew him to it. But he was just a fan and he was kind of one of the first dudes that like big dudes to come mm -hmm. to me and be like, he could have gone, let's be real, yeah, Zach, at, that, at, at the, the world, peak like, of yeah. rage. He could have literally gone to any producer on the planet. He came to my apartment in Brooklyn. That's right. how real Zach is. He's a real like, dude. He is one of my best friends. I, I consider him to be, a, you know, family. And I also think that he's one of the most genuinely sincere, mm -hmm. real, down-to-earth people that I've, in this business that I've ever met. And I think that people don't. I think that it, it almost it seems that way from a distance, but you almost don't even believe it that anyone is quite that that real right. you know what I mean but right. he really is that dude and he um I was just I was just a kid man I was just making beats in, in my mm. bedroom literally mm. I don't I had never I, I wasn't a producer you know so right, yeah um you, had, you, you were just make making beats a beat maker yeah I kind of I, I, I sometimes I wish that I could be my mind back in time to that to that point but you, know? you he you work with Zach again years later mm -hmm. on uh, on run the jewels um mm -hmm. Zach is so specific about his politics mm. so is mike mm. you sort of fall in between that mm -hmm. you're not i hear you say political things mm -hmm. you have political records mm -hmm. you know patriotisms you know mm -hmm. cer certain mm -hmm. certain things you say in your records i'm like okay uh, but you you strive it seems to me to not be apolitical but to not sort of lean on that well, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's a cool thing between me and Mike because there are very, because we 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 identified pretty quickly when we started writing jams together that mm -hmm. there was that there were these through lines that we shared. You know, right. in other words, like he goes very micro. He goes specific. Very specific. You know, um, yes. and, and I've always at attacked it from a, a sort of a a bird's eye view. I've always attacked it from more of a. Um, uh, a larger picture perspective, a mm -hmm. philosophical perspective maybe that didn't apply to just specific sort of ideas. And between the two of us, we kind of circle, we kind of zone in on, on mm -hmm. something. And I liked that about Run the Jewels. It was like, we knew that we both had the same, just from talking, becoming friends, we knew that we both had, ultimately we both had the same ultimate perspective, you know, mm -hmm. which is that, we will fight intellectually and in our hearts against the, the, the abuse and control of, of mankind. Mm -hmm. and, that, mm -hmm. and that is what we share. We, right. we, we share that d definitive belief that, um, that um, the power structures that exist in this world are, uh, are incorrect and abusive. And mm -hmm. it's cool to write with somebody where, where we seem to get these we seem to get to that point in different ways you know what i mean yeah. and, and and it makes for i think a, a bigger picture of a song 
albums, you know. Um, right. And so I, yeah, and and you know, and also Mike is also the other thing that we share is that we also just love talking shit. Mm. You yeah. know, Think it's the balance it. between the politics <clears throat> and the dick jokes. Absolutely, one hundred percent. One hundred percent. Although I'm, I, although on this new record, I, I'm not making a dick joke. Although I think <laughs> I'm, I have one I'm working Come on. Come on, man, we need some dick jokes. <laughs> Who makes more dick jokes, you or your wife? Uh, no, she's not making jokes. <laughs> what, are you, what are you trying to say? She's a comedian. <laughs> that was a good dick joke. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't. I just usually make them on, on rap records. Um, <laughs> Uh, no, I think that there's a fine art to the dick joke, and I think that you shouldn't push it too far. I think that you have to really, you have to really nail it. You know. You Let me really ask you this: yeah. Company Flow, and um, a lot of your music, and it's it's and Mike especially. Forgive me if if you disagree with this, but sure. it's very testosterone driven. Sure. Um, you know, in, in all the best ways possible. Sure. Um, do you feel like that's on purpose? Um, I think that I think that it's we have that I think mm -hmm. that that's that you know that there's a very that there is like a you know two two boys talking shit right thing about it and I also think that it's 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 tongue in cheek mm -hmm. and I think that it's it you know certainly for me it's tongue in cheek and and we don't take our I don't take <laughs> right, myself right. particularly seriously I don't think I don't think I don't think right. really Mike does at the end of the day either. Um, and then when and then and then there are these moments. What it does is it allows it, it, you to to have these moments of softness, of these moments of um, of another type of spirit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That that can be potent and can mean something. You know, I think that it's really important in a record. Um, for me, it's really important in a record for those moments of of calm or introspection or something that is um, pensive or that means something to you to be earned and to mm. and, and and to land importantly in a record you know yeah. if you're making an entire record and every song is or if you're seeing a film and every scene in that movie is a tearjerker yeah personally i'm not gonna cry yeah. <laughs> you know? mm. it's like yeah. all right i get it you're you know this is this is you know this is a tearjerker yeah. i like the fact that y'all have um zach de la roca and gangsta boo like in the same circle, one hundred percent. That's what Run, Run is, the Jewels is for me. One hundred percent, and and that and Run the Jewels is this collection of elements that's yeah, and yeah. also this collection of disparate elements that we're mashing together. You know, for us, it's like we're saying, listen, there is no conflict of being completely stupid and also being politically aware. Right. There's no there's no inherent conflict for that. We can have fun and say the wrong thing as well as say something that is important to us and that means something. Mm -hmm. And in fact, we think that that makes for a more dynamic type of artist than just, you know what I mean? And I know you feel this because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, you don't, no one wants to be one thing. And it's, mm -hmm. and it's really hard to make sure that you carve that space out for yourself to, to you yeah. know. Yeah, and you're more relatable too because no one wants to feel like they're just getting preached at. They right. want to feel like it's someone they can be down to earth with as well. No doubt. And the fact that you said that is so important because I know uh, for me in social media, I know I always bring up social media, but on Facebook, it'll be like, oh my God, Ghana's drowning and you guys want to talk about dick jokes. And it's like, you can do both. Like yeah. you literally can. Right. You don't want to just focus on everything negative that's going on in the world. You want to focus on things that's going to give you light, make you laugh. For sure. And comedy and is a huge part of what we do. And it's a huge part of, because it's, we started making these records really just like, let's be the teenagers in the bedroom mm -hmm. that are making our favorite rap record right mm -hmm. now, you know? and. Um, 
we're not out here to save the world, but at the same time, we will, as men, um, um, stand up and say something that we believe is important, and we have no problem doing it in the context of the records that we're making. That's right. Even if the last time you heard me, I was saying that I had a unicorn horn for a cock. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and then the next record, I'm gonna, you know, actual lyrics. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then, and then, and then, you know, and then the next record, we're gonna do a song like Thursday in the Danger Room, or we're mm -hmm. gonna do a song like, you know, um, you know, um, uh, you know, there's a there's a litany of sort of of, of, of jams, especially I I think always always are on our records, and then the last one even maybe even more so than there had been before. Yeah. Um, but I, it's just you know I'm really happy with it. I really like uh, you know I like the fact that we've made, we've carved a space out for ourselves as artists. Not where... just for y'all, but for the fans, for people mm -hmm. like me too, you know? Y'all carved a space for me. Like when I see Run the Jewels, I'm like, I'm still viable. That's how I feel. Awesome, mm -hmm. You awesome. know what I'm saying? I feel like it's a space for me. Sure. You know, because these are, these are my peers. These yeah. guys are saying the same things I'm saying. Yeah. That we come from the same seed. When yeah. Killer Mike, when, when Whole World came out, the, I, this is how I met Killer Mike. He called me up on the phone. I didn't really know who he was. Mm. I'm like, okay, you just a dude from the Outcast song. Mm -hmm. We spoke that for two hours. Song, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. he just like, he's like, yo, you one of my favorite MCs. I want to pick your brain. Yeah. You know, when I listen to Killer Mike as a fan of his, he's referencing Raekwon all the time. Yeah, man. He's representing like hardcore East Coast hip hop all the time. People don't think about that. That's that what he grew hit. up on. Yeah. I mean, he he's literally born the same year that we are. Okay. Right. We're the exact. We're we're all three of us the same age. And. He, him, and his crew, and his whole contingency, his whole people—they came up on the same records that we right, came up. Shala Ray. They also had another batch of influences. Yeah, as they well. had the, the Atlanta thing is a whole different thing. It's, the, it's trap culture, strip club, strip club culture. The whole like Martin Luther King, black business empowerment culture is a whole different thing in Atlanta. But you know, that's a real pure MC, as are you, which is, makes sense. Why Thank you. Up. And that's how um, it goes back to what Jay Z said, like. You're hearing the rhymes, but are you actually listening? Mm. Now you're you're sort of like underground white Jay Z at this point. I got a better one for Thank you. you. I've been one. waiting. I've been waiting years <laughs> for someone to say that. that. I got a better one for you. You're like the Bjork of rap. Mm. Well, you know, as 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 Bjork once said. <laughs> <laughs> I say, I say that as a as a compliment because she's one of my favorite artists, but she has her own sound, her own genre. Right. That, so when I hear when I hear your music, I'm like, that's some LP shit. Mm. Like it's, it's unmistakable. I've always had that for better or for worse, mm -hmm. and that's one thing that is true. You know, um, it's worked against me, but it's worked for me as well. And, and, and you know, um, but yes, I do have a, I do have something, and that you can hear mm -hmm. that you can hear, and it's simply just because I. Yeah, I just always was in my own. I was in my own zone with, with, with music, and I tried to use the, the the weird influences that I had and applied them to to all the influences that we share. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I grew up on film scores as much as I grew up on rap music. I always know? think that. Um, always, whenever I hear your music, I think I, I'm seeing visuals. Mm. Like when I like when I see like I know you're a fan of Trent Reznor. Yeah. Right. And when I, I see him, this, yeah. the film work he does, sure, the music that he does for films, I'm like, that's some LP could be doing that. I just did that. Okay. I just scored a film. Yeah, okay. that's not out yet, but uh, it's a it's a film called Fonzo, starring Tom Hardy about a about a syphilitic Al Capone. Tom Hardy is gangster. Everything life. he plays is some gangster shit. He's Al Capone. So, oh, okay. Yeah. See, I was like, he do all but, he do but, is gangster shit. But it's different. It's different. It's very it's a very weird and interesting and cool 
take on it. Mm -hmm. It's him. It's him at the end of his life. You know, Al Capone died of of untreated syphilis. Mm -hmm. Oh, so whoa! That, that's literally in his forties. He died, and mm -hmm. and and he. Um, yeah, syphilis was a uh, took was him a out, killer right? back then. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. didn't get it treated. Yeah, yeah, yeah it still is dead. now. Yeah, it yeah. still is now. And what it does is it eats away at your brain and and. Mm. and what 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 happened to him was that, as I know now just from this movie, mm -hmm. was that by the time he died, he had the the intellectual capacity of like a four year old. Mm. And nothing he didn't. He, okay, I guess we should watch the movie. Speaking of that production style, right? Like, mm. my introduction to you was uh, A Steps to Perfection and the End Burners that mm. era. Mm. Um, company flow broke up in that era. Yeah. What happened? Man. It was it was it was it was insane. We we kind of broke up right as it was about to pop. Okay. Um, you know we had a, a Beasties tour lined up. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? It was like mm -hmm. it was about to pop. And, and what happened <clears throat> is basically that we just we just couldn't fucking stand each other mm. after a little after a while. Just being around each other all the time. It just was it 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 was. I was really young. Mm -hmm. um, just was older than me. He, he and and he was young. Yeah, when yeah. I think about it now, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. shit. When I met him, he was 25. I was right. You look at a 25 year old like, damn. Yeah, and I yeah. was like 17. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And and, and um, um, I don't know, man. What what happened? It it, it kind of broke my heart to be honest. At the mm -hmm. time, I I really thought we were gonna ride this one into the sunset. You know, I I th I think that it was a combination of things, but we just got stressed, man. You know, it was just a lot. A mm -hmm. lot of stuff hap started happening, moving moving really fast for us all of a sudden, and um, I don't think that Just really wanted it, I, 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 you know? And mm -hmm. I say this respectfully, like mm -hmm. I know the dude still, you know what I mean? Like, Are you still in touch with him? I haven't spoken to him in a few years, mm -hmm. but 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 like, you know, whenever we do speak, it's all good, and, okay. and you know, I got love for him. I looked up to him like an older brother for a long time, mm -hmm. and you know. He's incredible, um, MC. Absolutely, yeah. and, and, but I don't, but you know, there's just a difference, man. I don't, I just don't think he really was into, he just wasn't really into, mm all the fucking razzmatazz well, I mean, and also... running around and all that shit. And it was like, and also, you know, I was a little arrogant prick, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, who who butted heads and was stubborn and I and I had my vision and I wasn't, and, and you know, uh, and, you know, we just clashed, you You're know. You're also a producer, though, not just in terms of um, making the music, but you've always, from my perspective, not just been about the rhymes and the music and everything got to be, but the business got to be right. We got to produce. We have to have product out. We have to keep it moving. Seems to me not everybody's like that. We were learning, you know, we, we were learning, but we did share that perspective, you know. It kind of dawned on both of us at the time that we were like, we were getting ready to put a, a um, try and get up, we were, we were, we were both working at Tower Records mail order department. Mm. The one, the one on? The one on Lafayette. Okay. That was my last job. I used to sell incense out of that, outside really? of that time. No, you didn't tell I did. <laughs> You were the incense man? I was for a couple of months. Did Damn, you have the so oils, too? I had the oils, too. Uh, I had the calyx. I had the silver wood. What year? I had the blue Nile. What year? What year? This was, um, yes. this was, uh, that, that was like 93, Oh, no. Nah, so I was like 95, mm -hmm. 90, 95, 96, maybe, with this. Do you know my friend Rubix? I don't know. Rubix, he was, um... He's on that hip hop. For, thank you for doing hip hop for respect, by the way. Oh yeah. Yeah. You're the only white MC on it. Mm. No, you and Invincible. Shout out to Invincible. Oh, yeah. I was um, about to say we have a white MC that doesn't start with the E, but it does. He does. Yeah. Evidence said there's a whole. It's not allowed in our union. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta have a. Evidence e. took us down the white MCs with names start with E rabbit hole. Oh, dude. <laughs> yeah, we kept we kept it off camera. He's like, I don't want to do this on camera. <laughs> it's but, too controversial. I mean. <laughs> 
Mike got assassinated. <laughs> like y'all had a meeting. It was like, all right, everyone got to start with it. Yeah, but yeah. my man Rubik's, he's going to be so mad when he watched this. He, they had his picture up in, tower, in that Tower Records. Oh. For trying to take a CD. <laughs> <laughs> trying to steal one? Amazing. And that Tower Records, they used to put your picture up if you try to steal well, let me, oh let me just God. say, Let me just make him feel better by saying that we, we stole the shit out of <laughs> anything that wasn't fucking nailed right. down at Tower Records. Right, you steal from so, so here's the thing. Me, when, when, so we were Don't working there. Don't steal at home, ladies and gentlemen. We, we were working there. We were making, we, every time we take some money. <laughs> That's why they went out of business. It's a commercial. <laughs> Yeah, we just we would take our money that we earned there. Mm -hmm. We would go record, you know, at night. And and um and back then when you recorded, you had studio time. You had to already have the song completely done before you got there. So oh yeah, you just you yeah, know, they ain't no writing in the studio. Nah, you, you no, pay no, for no, this. never that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and then we had this thing. And going. then recording at night, you get into engineers who have been working with the bigger artists all day, and they giving you the cheap rate at night. And the cheap and the cheap service. Yeah, mm -hmm. cheap service. You yeah. get what you pay for. Uh, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so the next day, we would we you know we would we go to work and we continue this process. Finally, when we decided to print some shit up, um, it just dawned on us. We it, I remember this moment where we were just like. We were gonna put a single out. We were gonna fund it ourselves and press it up ourselves because we were like, ah, fuck it. We'll do this to, to give to labels to get a deal or mm -hmm. something, you know? And then we were like, you, you know, you could fit like eight songs on this thing. Hello. <laughs> yeah? Right. That was like literally this, as simple as it was. It was right. like, why are we just putting two a song and an instrumental on this piece of plastic? It's gonna cost the same amount of money to put eight of these songs mm -hmm. on here. Um, and then, and that's kind of how it started. And then we used Tower Records' mail order department to to send it out all over the country for free. That's what jobs are for. Yeah. yeah, that's what jobs are for. Just was in the, just was in the, um, just was like working the computers and the orders. So he'd like he'd do whatever magic he had to do over there, and I was in the back with the work release dudes doing the fucking doing the wrapping up the CDs. I, I'm probably personally responsible for sending out over 2,000 Bone Thugs and Harmony CDs to America. Wow. <laughs> Hand wrapped by LP. I, would, I really wish that I would have utilized my work resources better because I worked at Applebee's and we just had alcohol for spring break. So. See, that works though. That's a good one. Didn't do anything for our careers. Motherfuckers were getting the record next day air with us. <laughs> you know, they were like, right. how do these dudes afford to send all this right. shit to all these DJs? Yeah. So you were, I've heard you describe the company Flow Sound, and I suppose this relates, this could be for most of the projects you worked at, as sort of like a sonic version of a violent home invasion. <laughs> Did <laughs> you, I say that? Yeah, you said that. God. <laughs> you said that to me, we were smoking a blunt in the room. I really together. had to stop saying things. <laughs> or stop smoking. But you also said, you also said that company Flow was not about having a bad time. It was about having a good time while being bad. Mm. Mm. And I feel like you've also talked a lot about being attracted to heavy music, mm. like just darker, heavier sounds. Mm. We were signed to Raucous at the same time. Mm. Um, Black Star was more jazzy, melodic. Mm. It was not, we were in the same circles in terms sure. of like a cruise, but yeah. sonically it was a different thing. Yeah. Did you ever feel like there was a competition? Between us and Blackstar? Yeah, between like Company Flow and Blackstar. Because we were we were operating in the same spaces and sort of vying for the same fan base, but just different pieces of different sides of people's brain. Now the only time I ever thought there was a competition was when you got to the BDPB before me. I was like, <laughs> fuck those dudes. Yeah, was, man, was that mad, was most death's idea. I was, I was mad about that one. Yeah. I was mad about that I one. I did a good job on that beat. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, <clears throat> it's true that we you know, 
I think that you look at different people's groups and there, there are just different strains of influences and all of them are legitimate and that mm -hmm. all of them you can even trace back to the older hip hop groups that we loved, you know? Mm -hmm. um, people like BDP and, and, and Ultramag and, and, and Run DMC mm -hmm. tended to have a more sparse, a little bit more jagged sort of like, you know, type of thing with stabs and with and like a more of a sinister, you know, sort mm -hmm. of jagged approach. And then there was all the stuff that we loved that was jazzier, mellower, more, more, more funky, more, more soulful. And um, I think that my influences really were rooted in um, shit like BDP mm -hmm. and, 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 and P and Run DMC and like old Schooly D and like, you mm -hmm. know, um, Fat Boys, you know, shit like that. Mm -hmm. So I was, and Slick big, Rick. And big, hip hop. Big, big, big hip hop yeah. records with stabs and, yeah. and, 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 you know, I still, to this day, that's kind of, that's kind of, it's kind of my thing. Um, like we I weren't as lo-fi as like a Mad Lib per se, right. but it was definitely more of a warm, fuzzier thing For that sure. we were doing. For sure, and that's why it worked. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That's why we coexisted because it right. actually, to be fair, never felt like mm -hmm. a competition. You guys always were doing your thing, and and it. I, the thing about that period of time, that era, which was so special, I think, is that there were so many different types of like there were so many people doing different shit. The ones yeah. that really stood out, the ones that ended up being sort of what we would consider some of the groups that were defining of that era, mm -hmm. and I, I think Company Foes included, and I, and I know Black Star is, and I know there was a couple others. Mm -hmm. Everybody had their slot that they filled that mm -hmm. that created this picture. Where it was like, yo, there's a lot going on in this yeah. in this in this movement in this scene, yeah. you know. And there was, there was, man. You remember the open mics and shit. Everyone would get up and had a different style, and everyone was into that different style. If you, know? you guys were, it was for me when I got to Raucous. What was exciting about Raucous to me was Black Attack was there, mm. and Shabam was there. As Sir Menelik was, was there, I wasn't familiar with Menelik, but I was familiar with Cool Keith, and mm -hmm. he was doing his thing with Cool Keith. Mm -hmm. And Company Flow was there, and it's yeah. like, y'all were there, y'all established it before we got there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, but also, and I don't know if Jared's gonna love me or hate me for saying this, but I feel like um I feel like Raucus co-opted this whole independent as fuck thing. Well, I think that Raucus certainly recognized it, mm -hmm. and I think that they had the ability to do something about it. To, like, you to know, platform it. Yeah, Maybe I mean, like for us, it was sort of uh, just. Um, the I've said this before. The independent as fuck thing was us sitting at the table. This is exactly how it happened. Mm -hmm. Sitting at the table, cutting out letters to paste onto a label to Xerox or mm -hmm. something to put on our twelve inch, and we're sitting at my kitchen fucking table, me and Big Just, and it's just a mess of bullshit all over mm -hmm. the table, and glue sticks, and mm -hmm. and. And I literally, I literally, I was looked at this shit. I was like, I was like, yo, we are independent <laughs> as fuck. fuck. Like we're not just independent. Right. We're sitting at my kitchen table, independent. Mm -hmm. And it was a joke, and we laughed about it, and it was hilarious. And then, and then we were like, yeah, we should put that on the. We should just write that. I was right. like, yo, I'm gonna write that, because I pretty quickly recognized it as being like, yeah, we are. Actually, we are, and that's mm -hmm. cool because, because at the time. Um, Nobody was making it okay, or even be, or, or even a, that, that you could be proud to not be on. When I when I first met Jared, <clears throat> I met him through John Forte at Makiba Moonsicle's crib, mm. and he went came to sign uh, Seven Universal and and Population Click, which became yeah. the Rose Family. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I remember Jared and Brian, these two white guys from Brown University, came to the hood. They came to Crown Heights. And John Forte was there, and everybody mm -hmm. was ramen their ass. Everybody had a blunt and a forty. Everybody's right. trying to get a record deal, ramen their ass off. And at this point, Jared and him, I don't, I don't even think that they had 
y'all yet. And I remember John Forte being like, why aren't you rapping? And I'm like, this indie label shit? I'm trying to be on a major. I don't right, know right, 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 right. You're talking about this indie shit. I don't, right. don't want to be independent. Two years later, a short two years later, yeah. now my girl is pregnant. Now I lost my job. Yeah. You know, most deaf Yasin Bey come to me. He's like, yo, I think I'm going to do a single with these raucous dudes. I'm like, Jared and Brian? Yeah. He's like, he's like, yeah, they gave me some money. I was like, they gave you some money? <laughs> <laughs> How much money did they give you? And then my, my, whole thing, my whole thought pattern changed. That's when I was like, because I was still like, I'm trying to be signed a major and have dancers and all that. No doubt. You can still get some dancers. I, sh I should get some Should have got yeah. some dancers. That, you know. Hire me. Come on. Let me on tour, baby. Scrap love Let me know when the audition is. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, man, you know, um, the, 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 the meeting those guys, it was very interesting. And, and I think Jared can attest to this. Basically, when, when we... When we we were having a moment in the in the underground, you know, mm -hmm. but we had pretty quickly through word of mouth and through like people like Stretch and Bobito and mm -hmm. like you know, we had we had started to get a lot of attention just just from the little music that we had put out, like the EP that we had put out, which was mm -hmm. called Funk Crusher. Um, when we step when we started talking to labels, all of a sudden people wanted to talk to us, and we started we went and did the rounds, and mm -hmm. we did the rounds everywhere from major labels to independent labels on the West Coast to independent labels on the East Coast, mm -hmm. um, and Rockus were the ones that said yes to what we thought it should look like. We were like, well, we'd love to do this, and we'd want to own the masters, and mm -hmm. we and we want to do a fifty fifty you know deal, and we we don't want to promise more than one album because we don't know how it's going to work out. And 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 at the time, these were ludicrous yes thoughts. You know yeah. what I mean? Like no, there was really no chokehold on the game at that point. At the time, there was really no <clears throat> um, established. There was no cash money deal. No. That where they were like, oh, they're getting you know this amount of percentage. And right. None of that was existed. Well, we went into these guys' offices and who, you know, and 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 said the same thing that we had said to other people who who had been like, we can't, you know, then mm -hmm. forget it. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah. And so that was what, you know, I think that that was a really genuine and, and place for us to jump off with that shit was mm -hmm. because it was like, well, if they're in that headspace where they respect that idea mm -hmm. and, and and they're willing also to give us money, <laughs> you know. Right. Then these guys are serious, and um, so when you say like oh the the, the co-opting of it, I think that what they did was they finalized or they expanded the thought. I think that we had the thought of independent as fuck, and it was something that became a rallying cry in our in in, in our collective yeah. right. Yeah. Um, and 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 we helped define that attitude. I think that the best thing that Company Flow did in that realm was maybe that we gave people a little bit of a straightening of the spine a little bit because mm -hmm. there was no in, there was no independent record label system uh, for for dudes like us it mm -hmm. was either you were on a major or you just were going around right. to, to to different places of freestyle we would go to Washington Square Park or fucking New Eureka and mm -hmm. like freestyle You're right and, there was no middle ground there was no middle ground raucous became the first step for a middle ground for people the, the first people to recognize and say Actually, this stuff, and they felt the same way that I did, and I really felt this politically, that, that this, this stuff actually has a monetary future. This mm -hmm. stuff, we can actually sell this and not take this and try and change it, but actually show people what this is and try yeah. and explain what this is. So me saying independent of fuck may have meant something to kids and the people in our scene because mm -hmm. I think that it, it, you know, it just gave you a little dose of 
Like, yeah, actually, you know what I, because I am, because that, because I actually don't really want to do what's going on right now in the, in the music that's happening on the major level. A lot of it is not appealing to me. Mm -hmm. It's not really what I want to do. But then getting with Raucous was the next step in that actually becoming real. And once, once this, once that started to be established, you know, um, the independent as fuck rally cry was a little bit less needed right it, okay. it, it was the foot it was the stepping stone mm -hmm. towards because really all we want all we ever wanted was just to be just to be a part of just to have the opportunity to participate, to participate put our music out show yeah. people what we're doing let other artists hear it and be like oh i like that correct and 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 it's even changed even further you know i i think that my business perspective is has has always never been about something that's rigid and stiff it's always been about how can we get closer to, you know, this this not being an issue? How how can this this sort of weird caste system that seems impossible to, to jump over? I, you know, you're a kid. I mean, do you remember trying to run around? And, oh, I'm gonna try and get a demo deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm gonna bring a demo up to Jive Records or some shit. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Throw it in their box. You know, right. like you meet like a. Uh, promo intern and you're playing your demo for some like promo intern who doesn't even know the A and R at the label. Right. You know, mm -hmm. it was this it was this seemingly impenetrable system of 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 uh, nepotism and favors mm -hmm. and things that you just if you're just a kid making music, like you don't know how to deal with that. You almost have to at that time you almost had to become an industry dude even to get into the industry. Do you feel like your perspective has changed going from pure artist to now st have started several industry label situation? Yeah, I'm back to pure artists. Okay. <laughs> uh, you talk often about doing things that scare you creatively. Mm. Um, what are the things that you're doing that scare you creatively right now? Like, what's the next frontier for you? Well, that's a, thank you. That's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> Well, we're gunning. We're we're, we're starting to shift, and, and we've got we've several irons in the fire on, on TV and film. Like that's sort of the next thing. We've both started doing some little acting and some stuff here and there, and and um, and we're developing a couple of run the jewels based Ooh. projects that are that are that are in the TV and film world, and that's something that I think is really exciting. And you know, I look at I look at um, run the jewels as kind of like the Blues Brothers a little bit. <laughs> I can see that. You know what I mean? That's my favorite movie. Yeah, I know everything it's about that. The movie. best movie ever. <laughs> yeah. and, and and you know, so we're we're kind of. We're kind of doing our. We're on a mission from God. We're on a mission from God. Yeah, yeah. it's from um, God. That, um, but mostly we're just assholes in sunglasses. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Well, you um, are a Pisces, and you, it's kind of in your blood. You've done a little too much research on me. I think. It's a little, uh, <laughs> She's also Miss Cleo. <laughs> Every episode we talk about people's signs. I know. Um, so that's so that's that's one of the scary and interesting things that's, that's happening. Super interesting. Yeah, yeah, and you know. Um, and all those, it's, it's, it, you know, we're sort of for the first time in our, in my, in my career, those doors have started to kind of crack open and, and mm -hmm. it's, 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 that's a fun thing. But really, I think that what I meant about that also was that, um, I trained myself to, 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 when I got really scared, if someone offered me an opportunity to do some sort of music with something that was outside of my wheelhouse or that I didn't know mm -hmm. if I was capable of doing that, I kind of forced myself to say yes right. in, a lot, in a lot of those situations. Because I was like, you know, you know, fuck it, I'm here once, mm -hmm. you know, and, and I, I, better, I better not, like I didn't go to high school. <laughs> like, At you know, all? I should probably... I went, I went for the first couple of years, I got kicked out of two high schools and, and, and then I went to musical engineering school. So I've been literally on uh, just, just 
prepping to be a musician and a producer since I was 16 years old. Now, your father was a jazz musician, and he played in piano, like played piano in bars and restaurants yeah. and stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, when I, you know, sometimes you're in the mall and someone's playing piano, or you're in a restaurant, and you're or and someone's playing piano, no one's paying attention. Yeah, and I always focus in on that I mean, because as an artist, exactly. I feel very blessed to make art for a living mm -hmm. that yeah. people paid to listen to, not they yeah, paid yeah, yeah, for something yeah. else and it's just in the background. Yeah. I always look at those artists with so much respect because I'm like, for you to be doing was that- you, Did you have a parent who was a musician too? No, okay. my father was into, into, into music, into, he was like a DJ a little bit, mm -hmm. but he wasn't a musician. Well, I'll tell you, mm -hmm. you sound like you were because I had the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. And it's because I grew up sitting in these bars mm -hmm. and sitting in these restaurants watching my father be ignored and, oh. watch, and watching my father play and sing and, and seeing him, and it was, you know, even as a kid I understood that it was uncomfortable and somewhat degrading. Mm -hmm. Because motherfuckers are ordering another, you know, order right. chicken. But it's a part of right. the game. It doesn't even matter how good he might be. No. They, as they might want to clap, they don't. They feel awkward about it. Well, here's a dude who decided that he loved music enough to sit through that, to mm -hmm. go through that, yeah, and and to give to to be given the opportunity to play music, um, even in an unglamorous setting, even even in a um, nowhere near the fantasy of what it is to be a professional musician. Right. But I would watch this man. And I would see him lose himself, even in this stupid restaurant, mm -hmm. you know, lose himself, close his eyes and sing. And, and I knew that he was happy. Mm -hmm. And um, if not for a moment, if not for the length right. of a song. Um, right. And that stuck with me in a big way. Uh, it, it made me realize, and it's always a thought that I've kept with me, and it made me always check myself and make sure that I was always in love with music oh. because I, I don't want to do, I don't want a job. <laughs> but I, you know, if I can, if I can play music and I can remember that that is what it is about from the very beginning. Mm -hmm. That's literally the whole reason why I started doing this. And I, as soon as it starts to feel like it's drifting away from that, it's getting more complicated. That's why I don't do a fucking record label anymore, mm -hmm. quite frankly, because. It was ruining my music experience, it's you know? It's um, not the creative It was work. tough. It was like, I'm not, I don't have any time to just be the weird ass person I am. Wow. And, um, and you know, I, I stop when I see these people. When I'm in a restaurant, right. I tip those motherfuckers. That's right. You know, I acknowledge them. I clap when they're, when, when they're done right. playing. And, and it's because I saw this man who I, you know, looked up to, to some, you know, as a kid and um, being ignored. Mm -hmm. And loving it anyway, and 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 knowing and knowing that like that that is that's the power of this whole shit. Like mm -hmm. you have something at your disposal that if it is if if you harness it beyond whatever the potential is for you to make money or for you to have a career and all that, that shit's cool. But it's fleeting. It may or may not be here forever, and it certainly may or may not apply to your mm -hmm. life at a certain point. But if it, but if you're if you can get to that place, if you can meditate and get to mm -hmm. that, that place where, where, where you're happy just even creating or, or even being able to do that thing you love, then it, it, it sort of felt to me like a good thing to remember. Like, mm -hmm. all right, well, what's the worst case scenario? Worst case scenario, I'm in a restaurant. And no one comes. Right. Doing what I love. Doing what I love. Closing my eyes, 
and and being in that moment. And that's something that that's a musician right. knows is there. It's, that's we right. know it's there. It's like changing your definition of success. Yeah. When I started, my definition of success was LL Cool J, right. Run DMC. Yeah. Now my definition of success is being creative for a living. The fact Absolutely. that I can wake up, I could be creative, and I could feed myself with that. Mm -hmm. What else can I ask for? Nothing. Nothing, right? Nothing. And and ambition is great, but being in touch with the simplicity of that is 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 a saving grace, you know. I think to me. Um, yeah. And I so yeah, it's really interesting I, 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 that you brought that up because I've 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 I deeply feel that. Yeah. You know I mean, I really do. Lil Rel said to me, because I do stand up, and it's kind of the same thing as an artist, because you can get on stage and mm. you're at a bar show and mm. no one's paying attention, oh, yeah. or you can get on stage and it's like one or two people. And he's like, every time you get on stage, you need to make sure you're having fun yeah. and you need to make sure that you're there for yourself. Yes. And mm. if you can't do that as an artist, then you just need to find another profession. Facts. I agree with that. I think I've said this. And it's really hard for comedians. Yeah. Oh, really baby. hard for comedians. Let me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm married, like, my, literally my wife, I, I, like, I, you have to build a shell. Oh, yeah. And you have to build, more than that, you have to build the mechanism inside yourself to enjoy the pain. No matter what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, you have to, like, you have to enjoy, sh like, masochistically, like, enjoy mm. schadenfreude, mm -hmm. you know, like, and you're the victim, you know, mm. like, the worse it is, the better it is, you know, <laughs> like, the worse it is, the better the story, you know. Right. And um, try falling off the stage in Atlanta, so. You mm. fell this summer? Oh, baby, yes. Really? Uh, that sounds I, hilarious. I've fallen off so oh, many stages. Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> so I just killed it in my head. I'm like, yeah, fuck you guys. I just killed it. And then I just fucking walked off the stage, like, a full tumble. I have it on recording. It's like Amazing. my whole body just fell down from my ankles. You it should was... show that as an intro to your set. You know what oh, I mean? Just like it was horrible. Yeah, I've definitely taken a. I've definitely taken. I've eaten shit. Were you sober? Several. Wow. <laughs> I was sober. Yeah. Wow. I was sober afterwards. afterwards. <laughs> of course you. Yeah. It was sober a sober in the hospital. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So now, what I like, what I love, one of the things I love about Run the Jewels is, it's not. This like, we're colorblind, you know. It's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's the opposite of that. Yeah. It's like here's a fucking black guy from Atlanta. Here's a fucking white guy from from Brooklyn. We share this hip hop experience. We both love this America's mm -hmm. Most Wanted album. Let's make some jams. Yeah. From the time I've met you, um, I don't know if you know this, but people think I don't like white people. Huh? What? <laughs> I don't know where to get this from. But from the time I've met you, really? It's. <laughs> Must be those never Twitter been people. About this guy. It's always been like you have always been an integral part of this culture. Mm. It's never been a race thing. You know, the the idea of colorblindness means I erase your experience. I don't want right, to. Yeah, right. I don't. I don't. When I see this, when I see you, I see a white guy. Yeah, I see yeah, everything yeah. that comes with sure, that, right? And sure. so when I hear your perspective on hip hop, it's a white guy from Brooklyn's perspective on hip hop. Mm. I've read interviews with you when you said when you started, you were the only fucking white guy in the room in a lot of these rooms. There was no Yeah, but I never fucking cried about that shit. It was just what it was. You know what I mean? It was just it was just that I wanted to be a part of the music. And and so at the time that I was coming up as trying to be a part of the music, it was just not it was not normal for there for there to be white people participating in the in the in the music or trying. But you've you've dealt early. You dealt with things that people were woke now talk about. Um early in your music. Um in terms of race. You didn't do it, and like you said, you talked earlier about look doing like a top down, like a macro way of dealing with mm. it. 
But before I ask you this, let me say this. I also read you talking about how people expect rappers to talk about politics, but don't expect artists and other genres to mm. talk about politics. Mm. Why do you think that is? And do you feel like you as a white artist have to speak about white privilege or have to speak about racial issues? No, mm -hmm. I don't. I don't. But you do speak about them. Do I? Sometimes. I don't know. You do. Um, I don't know when I did that, but I, I, but I mean, I think that, I tell you, I never, I never, and I don't know if this is right or wrong, mm -hmm. but I never engaged that conversation, at least in the sense of like, I just, you know, I always found it a little distasteful mm -hmm. to, to talk about or, to, or to, to put myself in any type of light that might insinuate that there was this struggle that I had because right. I was white, that I was trying to get into rap or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember back in the day, they did an article on the source. This is, and they were doing this article about, this is maybe 96. Mm -hmm. 97 maybe and they were doing this article about white rappers which is not a normal thing it was mm -hmm. it was like worthy of an article back then right, you know right, what I mean? right. and um, even then I refused to do the interview mm -hmm. and be, and and this is an article basically about me and Eminem at that at, point at yeah. that point yeah. this was really what it was about all the ease and Eminem and, was back in 96 yeah yeah, yeah. and, and, and Just 97 maybe and they, you know well, he was he was such a phenomenon Right. That it, be, it shine a light on the white MC. Right. I mean, at, at that time, it was sort of, those were, we, me and him, I guess at that time, right mm -hmm. in that moment, were the examples of dudes who basically weren't embarrassing. You know what I mean? Right. Like, mm -hmm. who basically were, like, considered, ex like, actually respected in the mm -hmm. scene. And even then, I was like, mm, you know, because I just never thought, it, it just never, it never really was something that, I've, you know, what I've said to people, I've said this, because over the years I've had this, I've had these questions thrown at me that are from various directions about it. And I've basically been like, look, I am white, but I'm not an expert on being white. You right. know what I mean? Like, I, I couldn't tell you. I think I had a little bit of a different... You're an expert on being LP. I'm an expert but on being... But it would be great if we could not be, have to be experts on being black. 100. Too. 100. And, and, and this is one of the reasons why I find it distasteful, mm -hmm. and always did, to insert myself into a conversation that, quite frankly, should be thrown at the bottom of the pile. Because mm -hmm. there are other conversations that need to be had. And, and, and for me, it was just like... I think that I just knew early on, basically, I, that I was just gonna be me. I was just mm -hmm. gonna be myself. The way that I grew up and my group of friends and everything, this was, you know, I, I don't think that it, it was necessarily atypical, but I think that, you know, me coming into the game and doing this shit, um, I always was super excited about getting into what I considered to be an amazing musical culture. That was something that I, it was, it was what I was obsessed with. Mm -hmm. And I just looked, I never looked at it like, I don't know, I just didn't have that sort of feeling of entitlement, like this shouldn't be hard. Mm -hmm. I yeah. actually thought it should be hard. Mm -hmm. I actually knew it was hard. And and I still was like, it doesn't, you know, I'm not gonna make it about that. Yeah, <laughs> like, I don't know. Your answer's interesting to me when you were like, well, do I? Because when I think back, I'm like, okay, this record early, or I think about, you being on. Okay, okay, yeah, right. that's a good one. So early was definitely written from the perspective of like an like somewhat apathetic, sort of person of a quote unquote ally mm -hmm. or a liberal, mm -hmm. right? Who who does connect and does seem to, it feels like they feel connection to mm -hmm. 
um, the plight of you know of of, of another group of people mm -hmm. who are being um, who are under the thumb of authoritarianism mm -hmm. on a regular basis, mm -hmm. um, and, and showing the disconnect. You know, the the, the verse of that shit ends with like you know, basically him being like, well, you know, do this again right. another day. Right. You know what I mean? And then Mike's was the verse of the guy who actually legitimately was feeling the results of what was happening, yeah. and we just thought that that was an interesting and true. And uh, perspective that that you know, and for me, I felt like this could be. I'm glad you picked up on it. And, you know, well, you jumped on the hip hop for respect thing, and then you know, you you there's like some anti-Trump stuff that you guys will engage in on stage, which that's not really a race thing. Like Trump is bad for everybody, yeah, yeah. you know. Mm -hmm. But when I say that, I say, I say that because what's interesting to me about your answer is. I feel like even if you were actively not trying to do that, mm. you can't help but do it because the culture is based on black consciousness. Mm. The people that you grew up on, that you're either Ice Cube, the public enemy, <clears throat> you said you was the only thing I was competing like, oh, y'all got to that BDP. You know what I'm saying? That's all straight pro-black, 5% conscious rap. Like, the you know, some of these guys are saying the white guy's the devil. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, and this, this is the rap that you're growing up on sonically that's, that's influenced you. And then you end up in a group where you working with Zach De La Roca and Killer Mike, and it's like, you by default, it's like it's it's almost like so even it doesn't matter if you're actively trying to make sure that you don't that you're trying to be a, a good ally but not putting yourself in, in conversations that you feel like you might be overstepping in. No, what I meant by that was that it was never my inclination to play up that aspect of mm. what I was and what it was about, and I always wanted to just be an, a voice and a writer. And, 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 and an artist, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I never, I, I really never engaged with that question of, well, how, how what was it like for you? Because you're, you know, you're white. And this is, and it, was, it, it was just something that I'm just not particularly even really that great at answering because mm -hmm. I've always been focused on trying to just make, make records where, you know, I, you know, you can listen to my shit and not feel like I am someone else other than I am or That's right. attempting to be someone else other than and you know the gr growing up on all that music mm -hmm. was really interesting for me because it really opened my fucking mind man I don't know if if I hadn't had rap music I don't know as a middle class white kid you know that I would have been exposed even, I don't know how long it would have taken me mm -hmm. to 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 be exposed to the truth, I think it helped in the in the lifting of the veil. And you know, when when you're growing up, you know, we all grow up in our communities with things that are put upon us, and uh, uh, um, some good, some bad. A lot of them are perspective, you know. And um, I don't know how long it would have taken me if I didn't have rap music to realize that there was a whole hell of a lot of bullshit that was being. Rap has done that for a lot of, yeah. I mean, it does that definitely for people of color, but I, you know, you hear those, those testimonies from white people all the time. That, it's, that it becomes, you know. You know, it, music is amazing in that regard. You know what I mean? It's like you, you, you it's, it, you wonder sometimes, I wonder sometimes, How people can be um, fans of rap music, but, but not fan of black people, mm -hmm. or that. fan of our culture, or fan of wearing our clothes, mm -hmm. or fan of selling do rags for ten million dollars, or Kente Cloth, all of that. If empathy and connection doesn't come with it, then what's the goddamn point? Mm -hmm. Is what I'm saying. And and so you know what what where I grew up, the way I grew up, the people I had, the circle of friends that I had, uh, uh, you know just came from, a lot of it just came from just going to school in Brooklyn and just right. being, my, but, but, um, 
yeah, man, I very I feel very grateful that 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 assisted in pulling the veil over, uh, away from my eyes, and yeah. it all it all um, it all ended up contributing essentially to um, my political perspective. That 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 feeling that something was wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That feeling that something was a lie. That feeling that we are being. Um, told we are being we are being there's a there's a, a false reality being spun for us and we're asking to participate in it and very young i've i've, I've started rejecting that and and it got me into a lot of trouble mm -hmm. it got me kicked out of schools you know it got yeah. me it got me sh my life shaken up to the point where you know and i kind of went a little crazy even i feel like i had a period of time where i was i felt a real rush of of having this this thing lifted and and being like fuck it's all a lie it's did like you go to a black school or no. did you go to a mixed school oh. i went to a mixed school yeah was Liberal. this the, the, the center for media arts that's where i went to musical engineering okay. school okay. yeah when i was i lied about my age it's, i got my oh. ged lied about my age went to this place all of a sudden i was a 16 year old kid pretending to be 17 hanging out with like 30 year olds who wow. you know just wanted to be Engineers. I read that uh, Mob Deep's manager was managing you at that time. Mob Deep's maybe one of his early, their early managers. Yeah. Okay. okay. Um, <coughs> now I've read it, uh, the comments. Back to the other question. The comment sections of this show. Oh. Sometimes I don't participate in them. I I. Because if I, I do it, it'll just become my Twitter feed. So I just read it. Um, one of the things that comes up often is is you have white hip hop fans because it's a lot of white kids who like up rocks. Mm-hmm. Right. And um. They'll say, why is it that, why, Quali, are you always bringing up race with every guest? Like, why, why can't y'all just talk about the music? Why can't you just talk about the art? And what y'all just, the exchange you just had is exactly why. Sure. Mm -hmm. we, we cannot talk about this music without talking about the culture. That's no. the whole point of this show. Okay. And when I see that comment, it makes me realize we're doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Because we're exposing a person who thinks it's just all about the music. It, it makes them understand that either you have to get down with this culture conversation or maybe this ain't for you. But some people honestly don't know. And it's so, it's amazing that you got lucky and you grew up in Brooklyn. So mm. you were, you know, in a kind of a well-rounded, depending yeah. on what part of Brooklyn you live, yeah. environment. Because like for Roosevelt, Roosevelt was an all black neighborhood and we had um, Latina people there, but we didn't have any white people. I didn't meet the first white person my age until I moved to Florida mm. and I was in eighth grade. Mm. And so it's a lot of things that I didn't understand, a lot of jokes that I said that I didn't understand that were not mm. appropriate right. because I wasn't around white people. Yeah. And so that's why these conversations are so necessary mm -hmm. so people can see, you know what I'm saying, how it is around other black people. I agree. 100. Yeah. Um, you took a Cool G rap line and made it a hot song. Hmm. But the song was a very serious song. Mm. I never heard hip hop deal with domestic violence in the way that you did. Um, Last Good Sleep, that's the name of the song, right? Um, can you talk to us about that song? Why you felt the need to write it and how you felt after you put it out? Yeah, that was a big song in my life. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a breakthrough for me as an artist, I think. Um, I wrote about it because it happened. Okay. Um, I wrote about it because I was witness to you know the abuse of my mother um, mm -hmm. and very violent abuse um, <clears throat> and you know this was a this was a this was I had never attempted to write a song that really meant anything mm -hmm. company flow was really They're having fun 
it was it was fun. Mm -hmm. It was saying the raw shit. Mm -hmm. It was it was playing with language. It was it was one upping each other. It was like trying to make someone's jaw drop with 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 coming up with with a witty thing. Mm -hmm. There was some political strain. There was a little bit of fuck you rebellion in mm -hmm. there involved, but that was about as as evolved as it got. And and right. when we were doing the album for Jared over there for Raucous, when we were taking the um, the EP that we did and turning it into a full length album, hence Funk Crusher Plus, mm -hmm. um, we had two. We had a, we had we each had we we knew we had about two more songs that we wanted to do, and we each wanted to do a solo jam, and and we we talked about it. And we were like, well, let's do something that kind of means something to mm -hmm. us in our in our lives we, mm -hmm. we literally talked about it and I think that this was a song that I was trying to write for a long time and I never did now to, to just a little bit of background is that my mother the, the, you know was in a very abusive relationship and this is something that me and my sisters had you know lived through and witnessed and and, and I was the last good sleep thing was because I, I, I you know one day it got it got really bad and after that day um the locks were changed and we never saw this dude again and it was you know my mother was like fuck you you know mm -hmm. and but but it it, it haunted me yeah. it, it was a very tough thing for me for years i was having nightmares i, I would say almost nightly yeah. i was having nightmares about this shit and i was also doing things like chasing people in the street in the subway because I thought it was this dude mm. and I wanted to fuck him up mm. you know that was traumatic. Do, doing shit like running down doing shit like running down into the subway because I thought I saw this dude at the edge of a crowd and getting on the subway mm. wow. to fuck this dude up and realizing it wasn't him shit like you that you feel like you should have been able to protect your mom 100%. And that's a part of the song. If you listen to the song, it's, it's really what it is. It's a reckoning with the feelings that I had. So I wrote, I wrote this thing. It finally came out. It came out in one day, and it was called Last Good Sleep because it was about the fact I really, I really had, was not sleeping. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and um, you know, it's the first time that I ever did a song. I played it for my mother. She cried you know immediately just broke oh. down and sobbed at the, you know because it was it was really a very real it's a powerful for, song for my life. it's very raw it's uh, you know it's it i had an emotional response to it um i you know it's the first jam that i ever did that anyone had an emotional uh, emotional response to in that way and i was not expecting it you know i don't think i ever wanted to talk about it. i thought at the time i was like no one wants to hear about mm -hmm. my shit like that because there wasn't really no one was really kind of really exposing shit like that at the time right. you know not that often it was well it wasn't that often because i'll tell you how how rare it was the samples from from streets of new york right um yeah and so streets of new york was my favorite record for a couple of years Hell yeah you know that's just that's still just, yeah like i you know that's new york jam ever yeah made sometimes it, when yeah, i'm yeah. djing I'll, i still throw that one in yeah. I, whether i'm gonna lose the floor or not yeah, yeah, they yeah. just need to hear that one fuck you know the floor yeah. yeah fuck the floor yeah, the yeah. only oh. other song that i know that's like that is uh eve's love is blind yeah and mm. that was a very very powerful song but, but what's interesting to me about i remember having a visceral emotional reaction mm. to this third party story that G Rap was talking about. The mm -hmm. man downstairs must have drank too many beers. I don't know who this man is. It's just this guy in this story about it's the just streets. a vignette. Yeah, eight million stories, it's just one of them. Right. Here you take the line and, and it's like, now here's the backstory. Here's the story of this man. This is who this man is. Mm -hmm. I'd never heard nobody do that before in hip hop. 
You know, and I want to thank you for doing it because it opened yeah, me up as a writer. That's awesome, man. I appreciate that. I mean, you know, it, it, it changed things for me because I, 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 like I said, I didn't think anyone wanted to hear that. Mm -hmm. and, and I did it anyway. And I had the idea that if I get too specific and too personal about my life, then it's going to alienate me from other people. Mm -hmm. And the exact opposite. It was the exact opposite. Yeah. I realized that, in fact, the more specific you get, mm -hmm. the more detailed you get about your life, if it's genuine, it can have a bigger emotional it. impact. Because we're not all these unique individual snowflakes. We all fucking, we all have the same emotions. We all have the, you know, this, the experiences may vary, mm -hmm. but the results are ultimately, you can pick them from That's a category of about five. Mm -hmm. So people will come up to me with tears in their eyes, and, and I was like, I, you know, it, I was blown away. I didn't think that anyone would even get it, you mm -hmm. know, um, because who the hell would get this specific story about seeing your mother, you know, being in their bedroom and seeing your mother as 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 all the commotion peeking your door and, mm -hmm. you know, to, to make sure that you're all right and her face is, you know, fucking, you know, purple mm -hmm. mashed potatoes, you mm -hmm. know. Um, and it changed me and I think that it sent me in a direction and then when I went into my solo work post-company flow, I started really exploring that stuff even more because right. I was addicted to it. I was like, oh shit, because it, it healed up. So backtrack a little bit, I won't go too long on this, but you asked, so yeah. what, what happened and how, about how I, feel after, how I felt after I, I made it? Well, it was the first song that I ever cried listening to after I had done mm -hmm. it, that's a fact. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know if even there have been that many more since then. Right. But, my mother also did, and I and and I remember I played it to her in her kitchen, and um and she burst into tears, and we had never talked about it. Talked that was about therapy it. for y'all. And I and um and I hugged her as she's crying. I hugged her, and um and I said, I said it's 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 okay. It's over now. Mm. It's over now. And um and it. And the thing that was crazy was that it was, mm -hmm. at that moment, it, it ended. Wow. It was over. And it, it never had been. And when I was saying it, I didn't think it was true. Mm. When I was saying it, I thought I was saying it for her. Right. And, and I literally that. had never had another nightmare again about that. And I forgave the dude. Mm. It's a power out of jail. Forgiving doesn't make them right, it makes you free. That's right. That's it. Correct. Can we talk about cheap cigars for a second? Sure. <laughs> you named yourself El Producto. Yeah. El Producto, when I was growing up, was the cigar yeah, yeah, yeah. that you smoked the shit out of. Oh, yeah. um, after El Producto, I guess it went Philly, right? Philly. White Owl. White Owl, then Backwoods popped on the backwards, scene. Then right? Dutch wait, Masters. you were smoking. Wait, wait, wait. El Producto's a cigar. But he was just the the cigar you're supposed to roll weed up in. You yeah. were just smoking. Just no, for no, fun. I was rolling weed. In. Oh, okay. I was like, let me get this clear. No, you know what? It, here's what it was. Originally, I was like, I'm, I'm. This was like at like 15. I was like, I'm the lyrical Punisher. <laughs> 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 and then, I, and then after a while, I was like, that's that's pretty silly. <laughs> but I'm, but I've, I've got all these songs saying LP. And then I was like, well, how can I make this a little bit less? corny and a little bit less nerdy and then I was LP lyrical okay I yeah mm-hmm so it was LP and then I was like well and I and then and I was literally just freestyling and there was a box of fucking El Productos on the desk and I just <laughs> said El Producto and I was like all right that's it that's cool I'm it's a good the rap e name, in there. Bro. yeah yeah it's all right it's not bad it's got the LP prerequisite white E like my you know? initials so because I'm Lee Patterson if you take out the Jasmine <laughs> <laughs> 
LP, huh? Just trying to make myself connected. <laughs> yeah, no, we're connected now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so just, can we talk a little bit about Def Jux? Sure. Because um, you spoke in this interview about not wanting to do a label situation. What's, what's amazing to me is like company flow was this phenomenon. Def Jux was a phenomenon. Run the Jewels is a phenomenon. Mm. You're able to do this several times over. You know, um, Def Jux, I've heard you speak about it becoming a culture that you didn't feel a part of after a certain point. Mm. Is that accurate? I th you know, I think that I, th I understand what you're saying. Mm -hmm. I think I think that I think that at a certain point, part of me felt like um, the intention of what what it was wasn't being reflected back in the in the attention okay. that I got. Um, I felt like a little bit misunderstood, mm -hmm. and also I felt like it was a little self fulfilling. Like it was it was kind of like it had started as something that was the extension of the, what we all love, which mm -hmm. was different types of people doing different type of shit, and we were trying to get it out there, you know, mm -hmm. and, and you know, um, and what radiated back ultimately was it was was sort of like a reaction that I felt a little bit like man maybe we're not maybe this it, maybe we shouldn't be packaging this all up because when you package it all up then we're all in the same boat like you know like we're like it's easy to dismiss a whole group if, if mm. you fall out of fashion right. if you fall out of fashion and you're associated there's 30 fucking people in the same group that can be dismissed with one sentence. Mm -hmm. And each of these artists were brilliant in their own right and had their own lives and their own yeah. dreams. And I'm like, I'm seeing it get, you know, for, you know, the, the, the thing is never get too fucking amped about being the, 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 the guy of the moment. You know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. that shit swings. If you're the guy of the moment, then you will be the clown of the moment eventually mm -hmm. too. Or the dude who's getting replaced by the new guy of the moment. Yeah. It's a dangerous gambit, you know, but I definitely, it wasn't the reason why I stopped Def Jux, but it definitely, towards the end, it was a part of my philosophical issue with it. I was like, man, this isn't really what I meant, you know? Yeah. I didn't mean, let me separate all these people from the way that everyone else looks at all the other shit that's mm -hmm. going on. I just was trying to prop up and support stuff that I thought was cool. Um, that's it. And, um... You know, lesson learned. It was interesting. You know, I, and I've always sort of had that. Uh, uh, there's always been, there's always been a little bit of a difference in the way that I looked at it, and sometimes, sometimes how the the that's attention the attention came back and was classified as. That's you know? my whole career. Like you couldn't tell a motherfucker that I listened to Jay Z <laughs> right. at a certain point. People yeah. would be like, "Well, of course you hate Jay Z." Yeah, you know? yeah. And I'd be like. <laughs> I hate Jay Z. Like, right. really? I'm, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. I'm still right? from Brooklyn. Like, yeah, I yeah. still love hip hop. Right. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so, you know, that was one of the reasons. Well, one of the just internal problems I had with the whole shit, where I was like, you know, am I doing everyone a favor by by? by you this? were, man. You definitely were. I mean, it's it's almost it's almost like you were too successful. Mm. Yeah, it was like it's you know, there's so much talent. Like the Weatherman. Mm. You know, that came out of a death drug situation, right? Sure, it came out of our friendships and, mm -hmm. you know, um, we never really did an official release, you know, on right. death drugs or anything like that. But that rest was in peace to Camu. Yeah, rest in peace, come on. Um, rest in peace to, I got my pumpkin head hat on. PH. Um, you know, um, rest in peace to Sean Price. Yeah, man. Prodigy. These are all people, are our peers. Yeah. This is our age. You talked about when you get to 50, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I was nah, like, because I, I said, run the, run the jewels is still dangerous. He said, we ain't 50 yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> How how have you maintained uh, self care wise, health wise, or have you? Mm. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. oh I, I have. 
Um, yeah, because I'm, we're going. I mean, we're, first we're, of all, I'm in perfect dying. physical condition. Amen. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, I, you know, I used to do a lot of drugs and drink a lot and party a lot and and um, and I was unhappy and I and 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 I was, you know, I don't think that's a particularly unique or interesting story, but yeah, man, yeah, I fucking changed. Right. I had to change. Right. I had to change. Um, I could. I couldn't. You know, we were talking about whiskey. You know and. Mm -hmm. uh, Qua offered me some whiskey, and I was like, "We drink like cowboys and bank robbers, right?" Yeah. yeah. I was like, you know, because he knew back in the day that I used to drink my ass off. Yeah. And I used to drink that some was whiskey. And <clears throat> I told him that I quit actually drinking whiskey in 2007, and, and you know, because I I, I I don't like apologizing to people. Mm. <laughs> and I was like, I'm I'm apologizing way too fucking much for whiskey to be. The reason, you know, what I mean, so, you know, you kind of, I'm a, you know, I'm a child of alcoholics, and uh, you know, and 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 you know, I always had that edge. I always had that edge in my life. Like it was always, a, it was always walking the razor's edge. Am I gonna be a dude who parties, who's kind of crazy, or am I gonna be literally a substance abuser? Am I mm. gonna go down the same path that my mother and my grandmother, who drank herself to death in a hotel room, mm. and, and to the point where the dog jumped off the fucking balcony, you know? Mm. Um, Am I going to go down that path? So you get to a certain point where, you, just like anybody, I think, uh, you know, you, you grow up a little bit and you start to realize, and fuck the philosophy of it. Yeah, I just can't be hung over anymore, man. Or not. I can't. Because got shit to do. This shit is two days now. Right, now it's taking <laughs> yeah. in. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, you know, the self-care the self -care thing is, 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 is really interesting and, and it's something that um, you almost wish... You didn't like uh, like I did it as a result of just getting older. Mac Miller had a record on his called Self Care huh. right before he passed. Wow! Did you get a chance to get familiar with his music? A bit, him? a bit, and you know, I, and you know, he reached out. I always I regret this. He reached out. He he had moved to New York for a little while, mm -hmm. and he reached out to me and was like, "Let's get up, let's make music." And I wasn't around. Right. I was I was touring. I was doing. And so we never, it was like kind of the year before he, he passed. And, and I was like, when he passed, I was like, shit. Like, I never got that chance. Right. We always meant to, right. we were talking, we meant to do that. And I wanted to show him New York. I wanted to like, I wanted to, you know, he kind of was reaching out for that. He was like, yeah. I don't have anyone here yet. You want to hang, you want to do right. some music or whatever. And I was like, no, he's a good dude. I'm out. I'm, I'm not, I'm not even there, you know? Um, so yeah, but I never really got to hang with him. Um, so Run the Jewels, y'all found success like in your 40s, but now you're doing big festivals and towards what sometimes artists who are doing hip hop who are way younger than you. Yeah. Um, do you have any advice for those artists? You're like an elder statesman at this point. Hmm. Do I have advice? <laughs> you better do, yeah, rehearse. Rehearse. Because the, there's a couple of fat old guys that are about to blow you off the stage. Hey. Right, right, right. No doubt. No yeah. doubt. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> um, on, with that being said, you are working on the next Run the Jewels. 100%. Is there anything you can tell us about it? Is Kwali on it? Oh. <laughs> Beyond that, is there anything you can tell us, anything you can tell us about it? I, I mean, I'm, it's starting to take full. It's starting to really, you know, it's starting to really take shape. It's almost there. So I think it's the hardest record we've ever done. Mm. I think 100. That's a, that's that's y'all done some hard records. 
it's maybe front to back the hardest record that we've ever done. I think I think we we kind of we you know the the last record, Run the Jewels Three, was um, with me and Mike really in a in in a we were really wrapped up. This is the lead up to fucking Trump becoming president. Uh -huh. you know? This is the year in which the um, the you know that Eric Garner was you know was was murdered. I can't breathe. You know uh, Mike Brown. You know uh, we coming off of the Mike Brown thing. Um, there, this is the this is the this is the year uh, where where um, the emotional impact of all of this insane injustice was happening, and so I think we made an album in a lot of ways that reflected that. And it was a, we call it our blue record because it was there was a lot of really moody mm -hmm. shit going on, and there was a lot of uh, there, there was a lot of turmoil for 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 um, for us in our minds and in our souls and what we were saying. And I think with this one, we we. We really are getting to not I won't say go we're getting back to something mm. because we're I don't feel like we're defined quite yet, but I think that we really got in touch with our love again, mm. of the joy again of, of just nasty ass rap records. Like uh like we're looking at EPMD, we're looking at, mm. you know, we're looking at DOC, we're looking at like we, we you know, I think that we wanted this record is really just a fucking savage fun, funky, angry, dope, shit-talking record with a couple of moments of, like, real, um, you know, a, a couple of really tangible sort of payoff right. emotional moments. That violent home invasion music. <laughs> but, yeah. like, if the, the person robbing your crib had, like, some bars to drop for you. Right. <laughs> or, or, like, you know, you, you see him and you forgive him. <laughs> right, 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 right. Nah, but, but, you know, I, I will say this, man, and I'm not a one to talk about my music because at the end of the day, it, it, we could think it's the greatest shit in the world and motherfuckers could just decide that it, they're over it, mm -hmm. you know? But I think that we're making the best record we've ever made in our lives and, and um, um, I'm really excited about it. I don't know, you know? I, I hope it says, I hope it, I hope it feels as good because the feeling of it is joyful. I hope yeah. that it feels as good to everyone else that, 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 as it has been to us, you know? I'm excited for it. Uh, speaking of Trump, uh, and Killer Mike. Uh, Killer Mike is a Bernie San uh, ugh. Killer Mike is a Bernie Sanders man, uh, mm. pretty much through and through, unless maybe when it comes to the guns. Where's mm. your stand on the upcoming elections? Uh, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> well, God damn it. Do it, baby. This is why I have Killer Mike. <laughs> um, I, you know, I really liked Bernie. I really like Bernie. Um, now, I hadn't voted in years what? until Bernie. Mm -hmm. um, I, had a, I, had a, I had a perspective on it that I thought I was pretty secure in. I get that, that too. I was pretty I, secure I same, in my perspective, perspective, which is that I don't vote in a fucking beauty contest when I know the judge just took $100. Mm -hmm. Why are you asking me to pretend mm -hmm. to participate in something that's so clearly flawed and has been tampered mm -hmm. with? And so um, A valid critique. I, I, this is, and I'm not saying that I believe it 100% yet, but this is where my head was. This is the critique I had. I was, think, I was like, listen, and I'm from New York, so I know exactly who we're voting for. Win. So my only Can real, in my head. positive, please, guys? Hold no, on. I'm, I'm, listen, getting this getting is there. getting there. I'm getting there. Oh, I see where in, he's going with this. In my head, I was like, the only tangible result of my of, of involving myself in this in, in in these elections is to conscientiously object to participating in something that I thought was a sham. Mm -hmm. um, my voice, in, this, again, this is not what I'm saying now. Right. This is what I thought. I was at the same place. So my I know exactly voice, what you're my voice mm -hmm. is louder 
by objecting than it is by contributing or, or participating in something that is deeply flawed and that it, I, I, I suspect is also corrupt. Right. Um, that said, I had my perspective changed a little bit, and, it, and I will give Mike this, this. Mike did this for me. Um, and it's one of the powerful, one of the reasons, one of the things that he affected in my life in a positive way mm -hmm. and, and that I really think was important. He taught me something, and I don't think he meant to t teach me anything, mm. but he did. Yeah. And we were talking, and I was telling him this, and, and you know, and, and I was so secure in this perspective, uh, you know, and, then, and that ended up boiling down to I don't vote, right? Yeah. And he said, well, I have to because these little policies, they drip down to my community in mm -hmm. a real way. That's right. And, and, I, and I, I was kind of blown away by that because I realized at that moment that I was, that my good intentions objection was rooted in entitlement. And I, it, it mm -hmm. opened my head up. I was like, it, it was very, it was very amazing, and I love Mike for this, and, and because I was like, I haven't had my wig peeled back like just that moment of clarity. <laughs> Not wig. You know, just really easily, really easily, all of a sudden just changed everything that I thought about it. And, and, and now I'm not saying that I still don't believe that there's corruption or that right. there All is. All your critiques are still valid about the, you probably critique the Electoral College and money and politics. But well, still real. the combination of that realization that what I was saying was somewhat from a position of entitlement and also mm -hmm. that there was this dude who for the first time in my life that I could tell really, even beyond Obama, straight up, because uh, not to say that you know, mm -hmm. Obama was not this incredible, impressive, eloquent human, yeah. but in terms of just being like... Uh, this is the realest fucking dude that I've ever seen talk about this shit, and mm -hmm. he's got, he's got this history of being real about it. It, it that that's what caused me to 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 participate, to, to you know, and um, and so yeah, we'd all be way the fuck better off if someone like Bernie fucking Sanders was our president, no question. Do I think that anything good is gonna happen? No, people people um. People ask me, like, do you really think Trump can win again? And I'm like, bitch, Trump didn't win the first time. Yeah, no, the first no, time. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You know, if that's the case. Because the, the lines have been drawn. And um, um, that said, yes, I think he could win. Yes, I think he could not win. Mm -hmm. Who the fuck knows? I'm not going to be... I, I have changed my position on whether or not I participate. I will participate. I'm going to choose to believe that America is not going to put Trump back in office. That America didn't put him in office. He didn't put him in office. They did not. Well, he didn't. Whoever put him in there, I'm going to choose to believe that they will not put him back. That well, is you gotta, my positive You got to make a phone call to Russia. You're right. Listen, the man, great hack is in we effect. have a couple of more new moons before the election. Just start manifesting that shit. I mean, the real fact of the matter is, is that, is that, is that we, um, <laughs> I think we need to give up on the representation of, of what we want being at the highest level of politics. Mm. In terms of, in terms of people, in terms of our, our, our spiritual and human beliefs, the, you know, something rooted in empathy and something rooted that, that's not cynical. Um, I, I don't think that that's ever now, again, going to be represented in, 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 on a high level in politics. I also don't think that, um, that they are holding all the cards. 
I, I think that the That's second that we all decide mm -hmm. that this shit is, that this that is a no go on this mm -hmm. shit. The second we all stop taking the bait, there's there, you know, listen, the ants can turn on the queen. You know Our what I mean? Members, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, Proletarian. And, and that's not and that's not just a that's not just a physical reality thought. That's that's there's an energy and there's and there's something that can't be stopped. Look, you know, you look at the '60s and, and the reason why they like. Acid and what and 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 the love vibe love almost acid. destroyed the authoritarian structure of of, of America. The violence. So imagine focusing that. Almost destroyed it. Um, Word up. I mean, you know, sorry, I don't want to make my last statement about acid and yeah. shit. But like, that's you know. facts because so acid I guess what I'm takes saying you is, let's on a journey drugs. through your mind and it makes you think more. Right. So it's it's definitely I can definitely see. So Ladies I, you and know, gentlemen, Timothy Leary. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, to, to answer your question, I, I, you know, about this is 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 that I'm just as conflicted as anybody mm -hmm. about the whole thing. You know what I mean? Um, and you know, you ask me about Bernie, it's like I can I I can honestly say. Like I'm not out there stumping for anybody. You yeah. know what I mean? I'm not out there stumping for Bernie. I'm I do not feel out like as as Killer Mike, notwithstanding, there is a certain power in not supporting a candidate. I think Mike does it with grace. Um, he does it because he genuinely believes that this yeah. man, like he he genuinely one hundred percent believes in this man, he yeah. knows this man, he believes that he's genuine, and he believes that his philosophies are the closest to the philosophies of Martin Luther King politically uh, than anyone yeah. else has been since that, that he's ever seen in a political spectrum, and I 100% respect his backing of it. Yeah. And I don't choose to involve myself in exactly the same way, but I would be really happy if that guy got elected. Yeah, I, I, I like Bernie because he's from Brooklyn. Okay. That's what um, I'm saying. I like, you know, I, I agree with the things that Mike likes about him are the same things I like about him. I just and I, I don't know if he's going to get the nomination or not. That's a whole different conversation. I'm just not putting my name behind somebody. But mm. how you arrived at that point, I arrived at that point reading about Malcolm X mm. and Adam Clayton Powell mm. and how Malcolm was. He didn't even consider himself American. It didn't get more leftist right. than pro-black Malcolm X, you right. know? And Malcolm X was talking about, he was dissing Democrats, he was dissing Republicans, mm -hmm. but Malcolm understood that the community could vote in blocks and come together as community mm. and work with, other, with politicians like Adam Clayton Powell and do it in a revolutionary way, use voting as a revolutionary tool. And seeing it framed in that way, as an older man, I got it, the same way that Mike framed it away for you. Do you feel, how much do you feel like that's a, growing up? Just comes with age. What, what? Just acknowledging that the way that you participate in the system doesn't have to be so counter, you know, to the system. Yeah, you know, I mean, look, I don't think that there's anything that's pure at this mm -hmm. point when you're involved, when you when you're when you're involving so what I, uh, yourself and all that shit, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's because it's the stakes are too fucking high, and there have been a lot, generations upon generations of people who have been tainting it from the start and twisting it so that the, the odds of them losing power yeah. are much less. Um, so there is no answer, there is no purity about the thing, but you know there is um, there's something beautiful about 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 trying yeah. and, and, um, and, and, and that's it, you know? Um, and like, you know, I've, I've, I've had, me meeting Mike was a very interesting thing for me because you had a very, very, uh, 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 you know, 
I'm a, I'm, I was always like the cynic because I was the romantic whose heart was broken. <laughs> right, right. You know, and, and, and Mike was the romantic who ultimately also had strands of cynicism and, and we've affected each other and he's affected me and this is why I can easily readily admit, I don't mind admitting to anybody that, that I'm still evolving, you know, mm -hmm. and that I'm still changing my perspective. Um, I'm very different than the way I used to be, but not internally, not in terms of the, not in terms of really what, who I am. Mm -hmm. But refining the way that I look at it, understanding and learning about what it really is, and, and, and being open to learning from other people about it as well, still. I think a lot of people are so locked in and so unwilling to continue to learn that, you know, they're just the same asshole they were 15 years ago. Right, and growth is everything, right? Yeah, you know, so. There's a man who never stops growing, y'all. Everybody give it up for LP, People's Party. LPZ!